Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Personal trainer, 
driven by a dream. That dream had him working two jobs, saving money, living frugally, and then he got enough money for a down payment for his own gymnasium. He needed somebody to co-sign. His brother, a successful businessman in Puerto Alegre, stepped forward and said, I'll co-sign. They went through those excruciating days of waiting for the bank's approval. Daniel will never forget the day when he was at uh, the other person's gymnasium, when he got the word the loan had been approved, he could come down after work and pick it up. He rushed down after work, so excited. But when he got there, the bank officer met him with a sheepish look on his face, embarrassed. and said, your brother was here earlier. And he took the money and paid off all of his debts with your money. Daniel was shattered. His dreams dashed. A feeling of overwhelming betrayal by his brother. And then anger rose up within him. He strolled over to his brother's house, pounded on the door. His brother came out holding his little girl in his arms, knowing that Daniel wouldn't touch him as long as he was holding that little girl. Daniel didn't touch him. But Daniel said, from this moment on, you're no longer my brother. You are my enemy. And if I ever see you again, I will kill you. For the next 10 years, Daniel avoided his brother. All family gatherings where his brother might appear. Along the way, he became a born-again Christian, got married. His life changed dramatically, but that one thing he couldn't shake, his hatred toward his brother, it gnawed at him, the bitterness, the anger, day after day. He kept him awake at night. And one day, on a Saturday, as he was walking in downtown Puerto Rico, he looked across the street and he saw his estranged brother. For the first time in 10 years, in that old anger welled up within him. And he moved across the street, determined to destroy his brother. I'll let you Daniel tell the rest of the story as he told it to us. He said, as I got closer to the, my enemy, I saw my father and my enemy. I saw the way my father walked and the way he walked. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's face. I saw my father's expression. And when I saw my father's face in my enemy, he became my brother again. Daniel's grabbed hold of his brother's shoulder. He turned him around. His brother cringed back, expecting to be leveled. Instead, Daniel threw his arms around him, sobbing, and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I love you. You're my brother. And as passerbyers went by, they saw these two men, a mountain of a man, holding his brother, both of them weeping and sobbing in their reunion. And if you were to go to that church, that evangelical church in Puerto Rico today, you would see Daniel and his wife sitting on the front row, and almost on every Sunday, you would see his brother and his family sitting next to Daniel. Now I'll take a moment, and I want to reiterate, and for you to think about that phrase, because that's the center of what I want to say today. When I saw my father's face in my enemy, my enemy became my brother again. There's so much polarization today, so much anger in our country. 
estranged husbands and wives, estranged families. People polarize on almost every issue today. You don't even want to go on Facebook or Twitter and see the kinds of things that people are saying about each other and to each other. So I want you to come into the story I'm about to tell because it's a story of two brothers who were enemies. The one brother, the wastrel, the younger brother who's been in the far country, taking part of his inheritance, and he has wasted it on prostitutes and loose living until he until he gave it all away. And when he lost his money, he lost his friends, as is often the case. He ends up in a pig pen, fighting with pigs for scraps, until he comes to the senses. He decides to go home because he remembers how much his father loved him. As he's going home, he's making up all kinds of excuses. He comes over the hill, and there's his father who's been there every day at the gate waiting for his son to come home, looking at the distant horizon. And as his son comes, filthy, ragged, the smell of pigs on his body, the lingering, the lingering scent of the prostitute's cheap perfume on him, the father runs to him, embraces him. The son starts to blurt out his excuses, his, 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 his apologies. The father will have none of it. It's one of the most amazing scenes in scripture. Uh, get, get the robe, the family robe, and put it on him. Get the, the ring with the family insignia, and put it on his finger, and get some, some sandals, and put them on his bare feet, and kill the fatted calf, because we're going to have a celebration. Because this son of mine who was dead has been found in a life again and who was, who was lost has been found. That's one of the most amazing scenes in scripture. It's a scene of celebration, of joy. And then the father notices that the older brother had to come in. He's still out in the field working. The father goes out to him. And the older brother's angry. His younger brother's his enemy as much as Daniel's brother was his enemy. And he says, this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother, this son of yours. All the time I've been working hard, you've never given me even a goat to celebrate. I'm a good son, a hard-working son, a dutiful son. You can feel his pain a little bit. And this son of yours is wasted everything, and yet, you give him a better calf. Those words of the Father, that this brother of yours, this brother of yours, whose dad is alive, whose lost has come home. And the story ends. The story ends because it's your story and my story, and we have to finish the story. I want to put you in that story for a moment. And what I'd like you to do is take a moment, not a spiritual thing to do in church probably, but think of that one person that you're most estranged with right now. That one person who's broken your heart who's willing to, maybe it's more than one, somebody who's made you angry politically, socially, morally, somebody maybe on the other side of the great divides of our day, somebody you're just angry at. Think about that person for a moment. And think about that person through this entire last message I'm going to deliver to you today. You got it? Did that person in mind? I've got about five or six people in mind. <laughs> you remember the occasion for the story? It begins in Luke chapter 15. 
Jesus is having a rip-roaring good time with tax collectors and sinners. That's just a plain euphemism for prostitutes, call girls, women of the night, pole dancers. The only kind of people that would hang out with tax collectors. Because if you know anything about first century tax collectors, these are Jewish men who have sold out to the Roman army of occupation. They're traitors against the Jewish nation. And the way they collect their taxes, the Romans say, you have to collect so much from every person. But whatever you can get on top of that, that goes to you. And so these guys set their tax tables. And they have hoodlums and thugs with them, with clubs. And if people don't give them what they want, they beat them up. They take everything. They take the, the, the bread out of the mouths of babies. They make families poverty-stricken. They are a scourge on the society. They're the worst kind of people. You think of the worst people today that you think are destroying America. They're so angry with you. That's these people. Jesus might as well be hanging out with Vito Corleone or Tony Soprano at the Barbeau Club with all of his thugs and hoodlums, his gang, with a bunch of call girls and prostitutes. Does that offend you? That Jesus would be drinking with them and eating with them? It offended the synagogue boys, the temple boys, they show up. How can you be eating with these people? You say you're from God. It's even the rumor that you say you are God in the flesh. We know our God. He's a holy God. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, says our scriptures, except he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift his hands to idols or swear by what's false. We know that our God is a holy God, and our holy God cannot touch this kind of sin. You got it yet? Well, let me make it more real. Suppose you were walking along the streets of New Jersey. You went up there this week, or, or New York, and you walked by a place where, well, Hoodlums and monsters were hanging out and call girls, prostitutes, and you looked through the window and there was Kurt Anderson sitting there eating with those people and drinking with those people. Would you be offended and bothered? Would you cancel his pastorship here? Or let's make it more real, depending on the side of the political aisle you're on. These are the bunch of Trumpers flying in and take over at the Capitol building. Or he's with a bunch of DNC people. Or a bunch of people that are engineering our children to think differently and destroying their lives. Whatever group you can think of that you despise the most and you think are destroying your culture, that's who Jesus is eating with. Now, does it shock you a little more? It shocks the synagogue boys. And so Jesus tells three little stories. You remember those three little stories? The first story is the story of a man who has a flock of sheep and he loses one. A rebellious, wayward sheep is always getting lost. But he leaves the 99 and he goes looking for that lost sheep. He scours the countryside for that sheep. And he won't rest all the time. When he finds him, puts him in his arms and brings him home with great joy and celebration. He has a party. And Jesus says, 
There's more joy in heaven among the angels than one lost sheep that's been found in 99 righteous saints sitting in church pews. Jesus said, just in case you didn't get it, I'll give you a second story. The story of a woman who's lost a precious coin. Now she has nine other coins are sitting on her dresser. It's that one coin that she scours the house to find. And when she finds that one coin, she's so excited that she throws a party. And Jesus said, just in case you didn't get it, let me tell you the third story. It's the great story. The story of a man who's lost two sons. Both of those sons were in the far country. St. Augustine once said, the far country is not a place, it's not a geographical place. It's just a place where you're far from the Father's heart. The other brother was far from the Father's heart of holiness. He didn't want to be around that house with all of his holiness. He wanted to sow his wild oats in the far country. And when Jesus is telling his story, he's really telling the story of the prostitutes and the tax collectors right there. But there's another brother, too, who's far from his father's heart of love and grace, even though he's at home. And can I just tell you something, dear beloved? The most dangerous place to be is not out in the streets, not in the bad places. The most dangerous place sometimes is to be in the church, in the father's house. And you think because you're in the father's house and you're doing the father's work, somehow you're okay. You're close to the father's heart because you're close to the father, not necessarily so. They're both far away, and Jesus tells this story. And he's speaking to the sinners and he's speaking to the temple boys, the synagogue boys at the same time, the righteous religious guardians of public morality. Hmm. But there's something I always bothered me about those three stories. I'm a storyteller, so symmetry matters to me in telling stories. Did you notice how different that third story is from the first two? Well, let me remind you. In the first story, the shepherd goes looking for his lost sheep. In the second story, the woman scours her house for her lost coin. But in the third story, the father stays at the gate. He doesn't go looking for his son. He doesn't go to the far country after his son. And I thought about that for a while. Why does the shepherd go looking for the lost sheep? Why does the woman go looking for the lost coin? But the father doesn't go looking for the lost sheep. Have you ever thought about that? Those are the kind of things I think about because I don't have enough time on my hands, or too much time on my hands, maybe. But I think about those things. And one day, I decided, aha, maybe the secret is in this fact. These guys from the synagogue were Torah boys. They lived, they, they knew the Torah. They lived according to the Torah, the five books of Moses. And if you think about the Torah, it hangs on the stories of two brothers. You remember those two sets of brothers? Cain and Abel? Ishmael and Isaac? Esau and Jacob? Manasseh and Ephraim? Two brothers. And in every case, every case, the younger brother receives the grace of God. And in every case, the older brother is angry. In every case, doing whatever he had to do to try to earn the Father's favor. Fascinating. So I thought I'd look at those three, those, those sets of boys from the Torah. I got no further than the first story, and I found my answer. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? They both bring an offering to the Lord. Cain is a worker of the field, he's a farmer, so he brings to the altar. The, the work of his hands, the produce, the sweat of his brow. 
that the fruit of his labor and he raised it as an offering to the Lord. Cain comes to another altar and he brings the slain lamb. And the blood of the lamb covers the altar. And God comes down and says, I'm more pleased with Abel's offering than Cain's. One day he wasn't pleased with Cain's offering. He was more pleased. You ever wonder why? Cain is the brother who's trying to please his father with good works. With the works of his own hands. If I can give him enough, he'll love me. Abel believes in God's grace. And he sees a lad who will come someday who will shed his blood on the cross. It's not what we do for God that matters. It's what he does for us that matters. It's not our works for him. It's his grace toward us. Do you get it? The older brother who works, I feel sorry for that older brother who works to please his father. And he's so bitter because he hasn't gotten a recognition for his hard work. The other brother who comes home having messed everything up and his father has a party for him. I understand, don't you? How that older brother feels. And God comes to Cain. The same way the father goes to his older brother. God goes to our older brother Cain and says, Cain, you gotta quit being bitter. Cain, sin has got you. You don't have to lie, and it's gonna get you that bitterness, it's gonna kill you. Cain, quit being bitter about it. I love you, Cain, but, but you know, you, just, you, you, you gotta get over this anger towards your brother. And of course, you remember how that went. Cain found his brother in the field. He took a club and beat him to death. I think that older brother in the parable of Jesus told would have probably hit had a club, would have probably hit his own brother, maybe beat him to death. We wouldn't do that, would we, to those we don't love? We just send a nasty text. Respond in an uncharitable way to a Facebook post we don't like. We call people names. We get all upset and wild up. We argue with each other, we fight with each other. Getting so self-righteous. Or on the right side of their life. Sometimes we are. But we're on the right side with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart. And so then I understood the story for the first time. Because you remember the conversation that happens after Cain kills his brother. God comes to him and says, Cain, where's your brother? Remember Cain's answer? reverberates down quarters of time, one of the most infamous answers in all of scripture. How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for my brother? And God looks at him and says, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground to me. You may not care, but I care. Have you thought about how much blood cries out to our Father in heaven? The blood of so many millions of innocent babies that never saw the light of day. The blood of 24.7 million children who could have fed in America without a father in the home because of what's happening in our culture. The cries of 
news when the cries of refugees, the cries of the homeless, the cries of people who won't even have a home to go home to tonight. Have you thought about how they cry out to God and God cares? Do we ever say to ourselves, why should I care? Am I really my brother's keeper? Am I even my enemy's keeper? Wow. When I saw my father's face, I believe that every man and woman, boy and girl in this world are sons and daughters of God. By virtue of being created, oh, they may be lost sons and daughters of God. They may be in a far country. They may not be coming to God through Jesus. They may not belong to the family of Jesus, but they're still sons and daughters of God. You go to the darkest place, find the darkest, most wicked people, and there's something of the image of God still left in them. Is that your goal? 
Because some days you look like Jesus. I don't mean you have a beard and long hair and have sandals or whatever. I just mean in your character, in your person, in your lifestyle, in your, in your heart, you'll be like Jesus. That's what I want to be. I began by telling you the story of Daniel. May I add, it seems though this is my final swan song. Maybe you can tell her to have me back sometime when he decides to go off on his journey. I don't think he's in the park entry right now. He's with his grandkids. You can't be in the park entry when you're with your grandkids. I told you the first day about my own childhood, abandoned by my family, eight foster homes. At 12 years of age, the sociability of a four-year-old still with the dad every night. Uh, a report card said this boy will never not do anything he needs to be institutionalized. I remember that last day when my brothers left. 1959. Their faces plastered against the back window, looking at me. I running after them down a dirt road in eastern Washington. They disappeared over the hill. I never saw them again. And I remember lying in that ditch on the side of the road, weeping. Got up with mud caked on my face. And I shook my fist at the skies. And I said, if there is a God, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. We later discovered that on that same day, can you believe this? On that same day, Mary Peterson, who had a disease as a child that rendered her barren. Married to a fisherman, passionately in love with each other, a commercial fisherman, wanted a child desperately. At 45 back then, she couldn't adopt a child, a baby. So she went to the State Department of Welfare. Hundreds of kids without parents. And she said, I'd like to adopt a child, a boy. And the workers said, you know, at your age, the law says you can't adopt anyone under 10 years of age. But now these kids are damaged goods. They're messed up. She said, nevertheless, I want to adopt a boy. So they brought her book with a thousand photographs of wards and stake. And as she looked at that book, she came to my picture. I think the Holy Spirit, the God that I said I hated, loved me still. He found me on that dirty road in eastern Washington with my broken heart. And he said, I'm going to rescue him. And he sent Mary. He put it on her heart. She said, That's the boy I want. I remember that Christmas of 1959 day, bitter cold, snow, standing on the porch in my brand new pinching shoes and band new shirt. And the, and, the, and the welfare worker, I don't know what possessed her to say it, said to me, you better be do things right because it's probably the last chance you're going to get to get adopted. I was scared to death. Mary got out of the car. She saw me. Mary was a large woman at that point. She saw me and she just slipped and slid up that sidewalk. And she grabbed me. I was little back then. She grabbed me, pulled me off the porch, and buried me in her rather ample bruises. I couldn't breathe. It was the most delicious suffocation of my life. <laughs> Mary held me at arm's length with her hand on his shoulder. And she said three words that I had never heard before in my life. Bobby, I love you. 
took me to a Chinese restaurant. I've never been to a restaurant in my life, but I saw that people were eating with these sticks. And I thought, if I could just eat with these sticks, they would surely want to adopt me. And so some slightly moving thing came to me. I've never seen before. I picked up those sticks, one like this, sticks went this way, and a gob of chow mein, I think, went across the table into Arnold's lap. And I began to cry. It was all over. Who wants to adopt a kid who puts chow mein in their lap? And then Arnold reached under the table and brought out a false little boat that he had carved the model of one of his fishing boats. And then Mary began to cry because that was the signal. If he wanted to adopt the boy, he'd give him the boat. And he handed me the boat and he said, Would you like to be my son? Would you like me to be your father? Would you like to bear my name, Peterson? I've been at Edwards and Strickland on Lee and Wickers. I didn't know who I was. I still had his name, his first name, Arnold. My middle name. He and my mother are both in heaven now, but I remember that first night going to their house two weeks later, sitting on the Roy Rogers bunk bed. I've never had a room of my own in my Roy Rogers pajamas, or in my um, Katie Crockett pajamas, actually. And I said to her, I said, Mom, I'm going to wipe the bed tonight. You're not going to love me in the morning. She said, oh, honey, we knew you went to bed before we adopted you. There's a plastic sheet under the sheets, and you went to bed, we'll just wash the sheets, and you'll still be our son. Went to school the next day, and the kids in this small old school who knew my parents know I was adopted said, you're not a real kid, you're adopted. It was my first encounter with existentialism. I thought I was real. I went home, and I said to my mom, I'm not a real kid, I'm adopted. My mother grabbed me and, again, and... Um, and then she looked at me and she said, son, the rest of those people had to take what they got at the hospital. But we went out and we chose you and we loved you and we found you and we adopted you. Brothers and sisters, as I close this morning, people ask me what motivates you more than anything else is that I'm still looking for my lost brothers and sisters. And that that has taken me across the world to more than two million people that I've spoken to in 70 countries of the world. And every time I speak anywhere, I say, I've been looking for my lost brothers and sisters, and in this room, my family, you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my brother. Bill's my brother from another mother. <laughs> They're all my brothers and sisters. And when I see the Father's face in you, no matter where you are, no matter what our differences are, I realize you're not my enemy. You're my brother. You're my sister. So today, when you leave, you think of that person that I mentioned to you. You may never be able to have a relationship with that person, but it shouldn't be because you are the one that shuts off the relationship. Because, should it, because they won't have a relationship with you. And maybe all you can do is pray for that person. Maybe that's all you can do. But I want to challenge you today, as you do, to think of one person or to make a commitment to find one other person this week. Somebody who's the least, the last, and the lost. Somebody that you wouldn't normally see God's face in. To find one person 
and do one act that will bring them closer to God. Will you do that this week? That's my call to you. If you've not received Jesus, I've asked you to do that to me. Because I only give you the power and presence by His Spirit to do that. It's been a pleasure to be with you, brothers and sisters. It's good to see you again, brother. And your dog, who sleeps through the sun. Hopefully you didn't. Would you rise as you sing our thoughts? If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.